You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. everybody. Uh, thank you guys for spending your Sunday morning with us. And, you know, here at Reality, what, why we do this, why we put this on, and why we gather is that we really believe that uh, this is the Lord's day, and we gather around Him and His Word, and worshiping Him, and uh, being the church, encouraging one another, and edifying each other, and uh, cannot... Uh, you know, encourage and, and understate that, how important it is for the people of God to gather. Again, whether that's online or in person, we're just grateful that you are here with us. And so uh, now it's our time of service where we like to get into the Word of God and uh, allow the Lord to speak to us. And so if you have your Bible, love if you would turn with me to our text today, James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. James 1, 12 through 18 is our text today. And um, again, if you've been with us, you know that this is like week four of our study in the book of James. And what we are doing this season, this fall, is we're taking this letter penned by James, which is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing to the church that's scattered uh, throughout the Middle East and Northern Africa and Europe. James is uh, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and they've been under heavy persecution. And because of that, they no longer are able to gather sin in large gatherings. And because of persecution, they are scattered abroad. And so James is very much pastorally writing this letter. And I want us to be reminded of that this morning. This, this morning. James isn't only um, this biblical author, he isn't only the half-brother of Jesus, but I want to kind of illuminate or remind us that James is a pastor. He's a shepherd, he's caring for his flock, and he's deeply concerned of their condition, of the condition of his congregants. And again, his congregants are the 12 tribes, these believers, the 12 tribes of Israel, who are now scattered abroad. And so uh, he's a pastor, kind of without a church, but now his church is abroad. And he's penning this letter as Pastor James to a scattered and suffering flock, if you want to use the shepherd analogy. Right? These are his people. These are families that he knew. These are, these are, these are his countrymen. Right? These are Jewish believers that he's pastored. And now he's writing this letter coming from that place. Um, so we're going to jump into verses 12 through 18. And normally I teach out of the NIV, but I've really been liking James in the, the NLT, New Living Translation. Um, it's very readable and um, helps get to the point um, quicker. So I'm going to teach out of that today, not always, but I'm going to read, I have it up here, if you don't have the New Living Translation, but it's James 1, 12 through 18, uh, out of the NLT, and Pastor James says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation, for afterward they will receive the crown of life. That God has promised to those who love him. 
And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. In verse 16, he says, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Again, this is Pastor James. Like, he's my dear family, my dear friends. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have your word this morning, that each of us in our hands hold your very word. Thank you for preserving it for us. Thank you that for the ability to read it and to hear it. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us and, and help us to apply these truths to our lives. And so, God, we just ask that you'd have your way, that you would use me as your mouthpiece for your glory and your namesake. And we pray that we would be a changed people after today, that we wouldn't just merely hear something and forget it, but that you would write these things on the tablets of our hearts, like you would impress it upon our, our deepest being, that we would not forget who you are and your intentions towards us. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so again, I've said it a few times, but just to, to pound it in, the tribes of Israel here who have believed in Jesus, which we would call messianic believers, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. They've been scattered and it isn't just like they moved to a new town in the Middle East and they're doing great. Again, they didn't choose to leave. Many of them probably didn't leave with any of their possessions. They got uprooted, not only from their actual home, but it's the promised land. It's the land of their people and their nation, their culture, their traditions. These people, this whole nation... Jewish people, these Messianic believers, they're living in exile. They're outcasts, and they're amidst a, a, a pretty hostile people. A lot of the Gentiles at the time um, were not kind to the Jews. They have no material goods. They don't have any social status. And that, and really any suffering in general... And hard seasons that we may go through can really wear on a person. Again, I just, I just painted you a really bad picture of their lives, and that's, it is. But we, too, in different ways, go through seasons and suffering and trials and hardships and experience tragedy and job loss and financial struggles and relation drama. You, you name it. And when that happens we start questioning why we're in this particular trial. 
Why is this happening to me? Why is this bad thing going on? Why aren't things going well, right? That's a little bit of natural progression of humanity. We start questioning why. And the larger questions as time goes on, I'm sure maybe all of us have experienced this. If not, you probably will. Bigger questions begin to mount specifically on what we think about God and God's intentions for us. Right? We experience trials. We go through hard times. All of a sudden, you're like, why is this happening to me? And if the trial persists or if it's bad enough, depending on where we're at, we can spiral pretty quick to go, God why? God, why are you doing this to me? Right? We all of a sudden go, God, I thought you were good, and I thought you had good things for me. And all of a sudden, we start questioning the character of God and his intentions towards us. In a nutshell, what James is trying to do today with these believers in times of suffering is he's trying to correct some wrong beliefs maybe they're having, specifically who tempts the believer or not? Does God tempt us? Do we tempt ourselves? Who tempts us to sin? Who causes us to sin? James is trying to address some maybe wrong beliefs they're thinking. And then also, he's trying to write the perception of who God is and his intentions for them. Because again, just like them, like us, again, it's only speculation. And maybe James would have been maybe hearing some things. Maybe he's, he's hearing that people aren't doing well. Maybe some of his congregants are questioning, like, why did God allow persecution to happen? Why are we scattered? Why did I lose my house? Why did I lose my nation? Why? Again, it's only speculation, but maybe there was word these Christians were struggling. Or maybe it was just James being prompted to write this by the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless... These truths, once again, James is speaking to in these few verses are, again, relevant not only for you know, the Jews back then, but it's for any believer in any time, in any nation, in any trial we will go through. In James' words today, as these believers would have literally gotten this letter or someone would have read out loud this letter to them, Right? Remember, James penned this. The letter goes forth to the churches scattered abroad. These words from James today would have been comforting. They also would have been corrective in nature. And they would have been encouraging to these believers that were scattered abroad. And so the hope is, the prayer is that we too are comforted today. But also we're lovingly corrected possibly. Also, we're encouraged that even though we're not living in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, we're in Hawaii here in 2022, that they too would help us be reminded of who God is and his intentions for us. Because again, even though we might not verbalize it, we have or we may really question who God is and his character and his intentions, especially when we feel like, dude, life's falling apart. So here's the natural breakdown of these verses that I just read. I have them on the screen here. First is verse 12. 
And again, this is like in uh, just my way of saying these points, but God blesses our perseverance. That's like the, the big theme there. Verses 13 through 15, God isn't the one trying to lead you astray or do bad things to you. Again, this is like in Riz language here. Verses 16 through 18, God is good. He gives his kids good things, and there's no changing that. This is how I read it, and this is how I think he's getting to, though. But in a nutshell, the breakdown of our verses, what James is trying to communicate to believers going through hard times that are possibly questioning the character of God, he says this. So number one, God blesses our perseverance. Again, James kind of continues this theme. He started out in the very first few verses, if you remember, of the book. But he continues this discussion with this kind of promise. And he said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So it would seem, again, speaking to the believer, that if we persevere, if we're steadfast, if we do indeed hold on to and trust God during various trials in our life, James tells us that we will be blessed. And again, there's, you could kind of accordion that word to what it means. But we may experience joy or peace or hope or security or comfort. But he says, hey, if you trust in the Lord, if you stick it out, if you endure suffering, if you hold on to Jesus during times of trial, it says you'll be blessed. The same word here was used in the Beatitudes with Jesus in Matthew 5. He went through a whole list of the ways in which God would bless us. It's really counterintuitive and countercultural, but even Jesus said, hey, blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when you mourn. And the list goes on. In the same way, James said, blessed are you who remain steadfast under trial. So instead of departing from the faith, instead of putting your hands up and saying, you know, immediately a bad thing happens. God, where are you? Look at all that you've done to me. Instead of doing that, James says, blessed are you when you trust in God, when you believe that he's sovereign and he's in control and you endure suffering, he says you'll be blessed. Again, it's important to understand because the original audience here is a believer. This person reading it is a believer. James is speaking to Christians. It's important to understand this whole crown of life idea. You know, the believer already has eternal life when they're saved and when, they're, when they believe, right? Jesus said this, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean like, hey, if you're strong through trial, God's going to save you now. Because you were a good person, now you're saved. That's not what it's saying. 
What James is getting at, I think, is that, and, and some would speculate, the meaning of this is that receiving the crown of life mentioned here is referring to once we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face, and when we receive the full, final endowment of life, which is eternal life. I believe that's what James is getting at. As a believer, you are secure in your salvation, but if you endure, if you make it through and you do not depart from the faith, James says, remember, remember what's ahead of you. It's eternity. Again, this is another way of James just pulling them out of their temporal weeds and saying, remember to have an eternal mindset. I know life is hard. I know you're broken. I know you're questioning things. You may even be questioning God. But do not forget that soon this life will be over and you will see Jesus face to face. And if you endure, you will get that crown of life. And you will have eternal life with him, free from suffering, free from pain, free from tears, free from persecution. Again, remember the first few verses of James. Verse 12 connects to the very first verses of this book. James starts out his letter by saying, Consider it all joy when you encounter trials. Again, that's so countercultural. That is so like counterintuitive. Like, what are you saying, James? But once again, I think James is reminding the believers here, in Christ, we can experience joy and even blessing when we trust God in the midst of our times of trials and testings. I think for us today, it's an encouragement to not give up. And we may not actually say that during a season, like, God, I'm done with you. But I think for a lot of us, we just are so over the trial we're in. We may not say, God, I'm done with you, but we may just not really talk to God anymore. We started out strong in prayer. We were asking God for strength. We were asking God to end our trial. We were close to him. We were worshiping. We were in the word. And as the trial goes on, we may not say, God, I'm done with you. But what do we do? We stop reading the Bible. We stop praying. We're just like, dude, God's like, I'll just soldier on. I think what James is saying is like, do not give up. In the midst of your trial. I know it's crazy, but God wants to meet you. He wants to bless you. He actually wants to give you joy in the midst of it. Again, because he is in control. Again, I think that's another way of saying it. That even in the midst of trial, God doesn't, doesn't want to give us up, give up. He wants us to have an eternal mindset and trust him. James isn't done there. He said that before. He's not done there. He goes on and he addresses something else in verses 13 through 15. That God isn't the one trying to lead you astray. He's not the one trying to hurt you or do bad things to you. <clears throat> James is not dumb. Like many of us, we know that most of us have a tendency to blame God when we find ourselves in trials. 
It may not be right away, but as our trial persists, we blame God. God, you did this. You made me do that. Our life isn't going well. Who do we blame? God. And again, not only is this just a common thing that James probably knew because we did too, and he just said this, but it's largely because of the cultural context they were in. So listen to this. Commentator R. Kent Hughes explains it this way, giving us a snapshot into uh, ancient Middle Eastern culture. He said this, blaming the gods, plural, wasn't just Yahweh, just gods in general in this pluralistic uh, society. Blaming the gods was, a, was typical of the pagan mindset in biblical times. Again, because their gods were capricious, vengeful, soap opera deities who taunted and tantalized humanity. We read over and over again, he says, of Zeus and his pantheon in classical Greek writings like the Odyssey, that this was true. And so Jewish believers living in the midst of this belief system being dispersed in these various pagan cities by persecution were not immune to this mindset. It was a common belief. The gods made you do it. The gods did that. It's their fault. Of course they did it because you didn't make them happy. Like it was very much their fault. They did it. They caused it. And so evidently, it would seem like these Jewish believers were saying, or there was rumors going around, you know what? I, you know, the sinful behavior that, that I did, God caused me to do that. You know what? I really wouldn't have done that, but God actually tempted me. He's the one that put the girl next to me or whatever it is. He's the one that put the money out. So I stole it, but God put the money out there. There was this belief system going on that if believers sinned, it was because God tempted them. God caused it. If God's really sovereign and in control, well, God, God did it. Again, these Jewish believers were saying God was tempting them. Uh, there was this mindset going around that he had lost patience with them, that they were deliberately bringing them down, and being so, God was to blame for their sin. But what we have to know, and what James is trying to do here, is remind them that by very nature, God is unable to either be tempted or to tempt anyone himself to cause them to sin. And what James here is doing is he's pointing out where the responsibility actually lies, and it's on them. So James is calling them out here, and he says, hey, don't, don't blame God for your sinful behavior. Actually, take that finger that you're blaming God with and point it to yourself. James says, it isn't God that's tempting you to sin. It isn't God that's causing your life to be miserable right now because of your bad choices. He says, each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. 
James says God doesn't tempt us. Instead, temptation comes when we're drawn away by our own fleshly desires and we're enticed by the world and the devil. Uh, God doesn't make us sin. We choose to. And James, James wants to, like, make sure that they know that. He wants to make sure that they have a right perception of who God is and his intentions for them. Again, you know how dangerous this is, but if you stop going to church for a period of time and you take yourself out of Christian community and you're isolated and you're away from corporate worship, you're away from believers, you're away on your own. This is not a good recipe. This is not going to be a good situation for your life. You'll just be consumed by the things of the world, by the things that aren't of God. You have no one to pray for you and keep you accountable and encourage you. And it isn't God in those situations that all of a sudden when your life is falling apart, like, oh, God did this to me. It's because of a series of choices that you've made, series of wrong decisions that you've made to isolate yourself that has caused you this brokenness. But again, so often it's easy to put the blame on other people about the course of our life. Right? Isn't it true? It's so easy to not take responsibility. For our actions. Like this is just basic. This is like basic. Like if you have small kids from an early age, it's like they try to get out. No, he did it. She did it. I didn't do it. You didn't tell me that. From an early age, you see it. These sinful tendency to put blame on others. Even when we have sinned ourselves. And not only are these believers putting blame on others, they're actually putting the blame on God. And what James does is remind these believers and us that we need to take responsibility for our own actions instead of putting the blame on others or on God. I will testify, even in life, especially in relationships, if we were just quicker to take responsibility for a mistake we made, wow, we'd be better off. With friendships, with your kids, with your parents, with your spouses, if we just weren't defensive, like if we could just stop being defensive, 100% admit res responsibility right away, right? If you think about that, you're like, oh yeah, all these relationships or all these things, situations would have been so much better if I was just humble enough and honest enough just to take responsibility right away. Again, this is like the point that James is trying to get to. Instead of blaming others for what's happening in your life, take responsibility and go, hey, don't blame God for what's happening. It's, you have just fallen into sin. You have chosen the wrong thing. And so, again, what most importantly James is trying to do here is to correct a wrong view of God's intentions towards us. Because, again, you see the progression. They're like, ooh, God is, I don't know, God like... Is God good? Does God want the best from us, for us? Did God really cause this trouble upon us? You know what? God is actually even causing me to sin. Like, they're going places in their minds. 
And again, James's whole point is here, God doesn't have it out for us. He, he's not trying to get us. He's not trying to set a trap for us. Rather, quite the opposite. And this is where I love, because James reminds us in these next few verses, our last few verses, that God is good. He gives his kids good things, and there's no changing it. Because, again, it might not, we might not be blaming God that he caused us to sin, but I guarantee you that a lot of us have a wrong perception of who God is. And it could be even those that grew up in the church. Oh, God's just disappointed with me. Oh, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't want to be near to me. We have these wrong perceptions of who God is. Dude, God's out to get me. Oh, I got to be perfect or else God's going to be mad at me. Those are wrong ideas. Those are wrong perceptions. Those are not, those are not truths about who God is. And so what James is doing is he's like, hey, if you didn't get me before, let me just make it really clear. God is a good father. And he gives his kids good things. Right? You can almost see that he's like, okay, these people aren't getting this. Maybe I can like say it a different way. And again, we have trouble even with this right now because a lot of us maybe didn't, we had, either didn't have a father, didn't have a great father. We all had imperfect fathers. We all, that our fathers are imperfect. So we actually don't know earthly what it is to have a perfect, loving, always loving, always good father. We don't. And especially for those of us that have had a negative view of a dad, this is maybe hard because you're like, you have a, this is hard to believe. But this is the word of God and this is the truth that James is setting forth. And if you've didn't hear, didn't understand anything I said before, this is what I'd want you to take away with, right? James says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us, from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. What we see over and over from Scripture what is true about God is that God's goodness is constant. There is no variation in him, meaning he's not moody. Circumstances don't dictate whether he's nice or not or loving or not. Again, we can doubt or question that God is good from time to time. I think, we, I think we can struggle with that. I think these believers were, and I think James is reminding them. Just like the author of Hebrews would tell us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he's pointing out is he's pointing out to these Jewish believers, even though your circumstances are not good, that doesn't mean that God has changed. Think about these Jewish believers for a second. This is the formation of the church in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has just come down and there is a growth and an excitement in the city of Jerusalem that there's never been before. And then persecution hits and now they're scattered and all of that is over. 
Like, life is horrible. And James is telling them, even though you look around and nothing is good, remember that God is always good. Don't question his character. Don't question his intentions. Even though your circumstances have changed, it doesn't mean that God has changed. Like, you hold on to that, that'll change your life. Okay, according to one historian, uh, when he speaks to this, he, he says this. I want to read it because I, I, I think it's neat. He said, in ancient Greek, this actually reads, this, this scripture here, like the father of the lights. So God is a good father, and he's the father of the lights, and this Greek historian says, the, pacific, the specific lights that James is speaking to are the celestial bodies that light up the sky both day and night, right? Sun and the moon and the stars. And he said, the sun and the moon and the star, excuse me, the sun and the stars never stop giving light even when we can't see them. Even so... There is never a shadow with God. He said, when night comes, the darkness isn't the fault of the sun. It shines as brightly as it did before. He said, instead, the earth has turned from the sun and darkness comes. So with that understanding, we can know in the same way, trials and temptations may feel as though God has changed. But rather, these trials and tribulations have just eclipsed his goodness from our eyes. That's what James is getting at. He says, our father who is in heaven is a good father. He is the creator of of the heavens and the earth. He's the father of lights. There is no shadow in his turning. There's no change in his character. But again, circumstances and trials and tribulations and hardship can really eclipse God's goodness. Because the truth is, God is a good father who gives good things to his kids with good intentions. We may struggle from time to time to believe this. Many do, and that's why they don't believe. Because they don't believe that God has good things for them. Um, I can relate in a very small way, being a dad. right? I have a nine-year-old girl and a six-year-old son. Many of you guys have young families and young kids, so you'll get this. Or you will one day. But when you have kids, especially when they're young, there's like... Everything is a lesson or can be a teachable moment. When they're, they're young, you're just trying to keep them alive. So we're just trying to keep you alive. And then as you get older, right, like everything is a lesson. Everything is a teachable moment. Everything you need to explain to them. And so often, right, they don't know what's good for their bodies or not. They don't know their limits. They don't know why I can't stay up all night or I can't eat sugar right before bed or why can't I run in the parking lot? Like, you, they, nothing. Like, why can't I do everything? It's like, well, if you do any of those things, this is going to cause you harm. But, right, even if you're a halfway decent parent, right, you're just trying to do what's best for your kids, but so often your kids don't understand what you're trying to do. 
in time, we hope they will. And you're like, oh, that's why my mom told me not to play with knives. That's why my dad didn't want me to stick his hand in the fire. You know what I mean? Like over time, our kids hopefully will understand like, oh, that's why my parent taught me that. And oh, they were actually trying to do something for my benefit and for my good. But so often, you're, like a lot of times, kids don't understand that. They're too young, or they don't see the full picture. And I think so often we can do that with, with God. God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? Why aren't you letting me do that? Why haven't you answered my prayer yet? And God's like, I see the whole picture. I know what's best for you. And that's actually not best for you right now. It's just like my own son. Like, why can't I have two ice creams right before bed? You know what I mean? Like, why can't I? And it's like, well, there's many reasons. You try to explain it and understand it's okay. And so he would feel like, oh, you're punishing me. But I'm like, no, I'm just actually doing what's best for your body. I, I think if we view God in that way, even in the midst of what we feel like, oh my goodness, I'm in a trial. I'm in a time of testing. I'm in a time of tribulation. Things are not going well. Instead of going, God, why you? Why have you done this? Maybe rather be like, oh, my father is in control. And he knows what's best for me. And he knows the timing and the perfect timing. And again, I'm imperfect. My examples I just give you are lame and imperfect. But when we think of God, he is a holy God. He's a perfect God. He's a loving God. He's a good God. He's a good father who gives his kid good things. And so here's where I'll land. And here's where our end. And here's the takeaway. We will all have our low points in life where we will doubt, even if it's just for a second, God's intentions, God's character, God's plan, and God's will. We'll just question them. Maybe some of us more than others. And we will inevitably doubt God's character and his his intentions for us. But despite our feelings... Or even when our thoughts spiral to blaming God. My hope today is that we hear and receive and believe these things about the character of God. And that the Holy Spirit would impress them upon each of our hearts. So that when dark time comes, because they will. When these hard seasons come that we would be recalled, uh, excuse me, that we would recall and that we would be comforted to know that even though everything around us has fallen apart, I have a good father who wants to give me good things and there's nothing on the planet that could change his heart towards me. There's no shadow in his turning. I want to end our time by reading a section of Proverbs chapter 3 just driving in the importance of what we've learned today. The author in Proverbs 3 says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. 
Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're reminded today of your goodness. You're a good God. And even though for many of us we're going through hardships and trials and Maybe we're suffering tragedy. Maybe there's, maybe there's job loss or maybe there's um, health issues with our family. Maybe it's relational discord. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to still remember who you are and your goodness in the midst of that. <laughs> that instead of getting so overwhelmed by our circumstances, that we would trust in you. And God, I do pray that each of us would, that you would impress this on the tablet of our hearts, that you are a good father. You love us as your kids. And that everything you give us is good. And even what you allow to happen There's purpose in it. God, even now, I pray that you would help us to change some wrong perceptions that we might have of you. Maybe there's some lies we're believing about your character. Maybe there's some some ways we're not trusting you. God, we want to repent of those things. We want to apologize. We want to be corrected. So even in this time of worship, We just pray, God, that you would uh, help us have a right view of you as a good father. We love you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.